if the only thing we accomplish in this podcast is encouraging other integrated care professionals just to say it out loud, um, you know, I think that that's like a really big deal. Hi, everyone. This is Neftali Serrano. I am the executive director of the Collaborative Family Healthcare Association. It is an absolute pleasure to be with you again on our second ever podcast. Uh, welcome. This is the Collaborative Family Healthcare Association's official podcast where we talk about all things integrated care. Uh, today, we have with us uh, just a portion of our podcast team. We'll let you know where the folks that aren't here, uh, where they are right now, but it's more interesting to know who is here. You've heard my voice, and we also have Amber Gordon. Amber, say hello to everybody. Hello, everyone, and thanks for listening. And Grace Wilson. Hello. Nice to be here. Great. So, uh, we are missing our good friend Deepu George, and uh, we'll we'll let Deepu maybe tell you this, the the horrible story that uh, has afflicted him. But uh, he's unable to join us due to some unfortunate issues with uh, rental cars and stolen equipment and stuff like that. It is not a good thing. So we our thoughts and our prayers are with Deepu um, and his family right now. So. He will be joining us at our next podcast. And then Jeffrey Ring is uh, also one of our podcast crew. He's not able to join us because of a prior engagement. So it's going to be the three of us, ladies. Um, I'm excited for today's topic. We're going to be talking about uh, we're basically honoring African-American History Month. Um, uh, Black History Month is really a special month, I think, for all of us who work in integrated care because many of us work in underserved settings with um, African-Americans, um, uh, but we're going to be also broadening it out to talk about not just African-Americans, but really uh, social justice issues and how those overlap and interface with um, with uh, healthcare at large and with our role as integrated healthcare providers. So before we get into that, though, um, and launch that discussion, uh, I want to just start us off with a couple of quick uh, sort of announcements. Um, for those of you who are familiar with CFHA, our association has an annual conference. Our annual conference this year is, as most years, in October, October 18th through the 20th in Rochester, New York. Right now we have the call for proposals open, so if you are interested in submitting a proposal related to integrated care, um, you can go online at integratedcareconference.com. That's integratedcareconference.com and check out all the details related to the call for proposals, the conference, the venue, etc. So make your plans now. Uh, one of the other uh, things we want to make you aware of is where to find our podcast. So um, if you found this podcast already, you probably know that it's available on SoundCloud and iTunes and um, it's also available on our main news site, integratedcarenews.com. Notice how we try to make it super easy for you to find us. Integratedcareconference.com for our conference and integratedcarenews.com for um, a bunch of news items, one of those being our podcast. So check that site out. And then uh, finally, just want to let you know about an upcoming educational opportunity. We have a really great webinar uh, coming up in March on... Uh, Interventions for adults with high A scores. So for many of you working in integrated care, you know that um, uh, ACE, uh, adverse childhood experiences are a feature that we work with on a daily basis. And the sort of tricky piece of that is 
well, what do you do about it? And that's what this group from uh, Canada, actually, our friends from Canada have been uh, working on. They have some interventions that they've designed specifically for adults with high A scores to foster resilience, to improve uh, health outcomes. Um, so check our website, cfha.net, and under the Learn and, con Learn and Network tab, you can find the webinar tab, which will get you to our March webinar on high A scores. So sign up today. Um, as soon as possible, it's free, it's open to the public. Um, really good educational opportunity. And last but not least here, we'd like to let you know what's coming up for us for, pod, for our future podcasts. So um, team, let's talk a little bit about some of the things we have in store uh, for future podcasts, especially related to some special segments. We've got some cool stuff. Uh, well, I have a couple of interviews coming up that I'm excited to record and share with our listeners. One of them is with a the director of medical family therapy who works with the Chickasaw Nation. Uh, they're doing some really cool efforts at integration here in Oklahoma and helping meet some of the needs of a particularly vulnerable population with regard to healthcare um, in our Native American populations here in our state. The other interview that I'm really looking forward to is with Chris Hunter and Jeff Ryder, who have co-edited a special edition of the Journal of Clinical Psychology and Medical Settings. Um, and they have a lot of issues that are already available online, but it's going to be coming out in print. And there are several issues and uh, several articles in there and several topics that I think will be really of interest to our listeners. So I'm really excited to do both of those interviews and be able to share them in the coming months. Absolutely. Yeah. And so what we're going to do is feature a few of these special segments and have discussions around them. We'll also have some recurring sort of special features. Uh, for example, the co-editors of Family Systems and Health are going to join us and um, uh, just provide insight into uh, uh, articles that are uh, being published. Um, and then also uh, they're interested in just letting our listeners in into the world of being an editor of a journal. So I think that that's going to be a fascinating take. Um, we also have uh, Jeff Ryder, who's who we're going to be interviewing for that special edition, but he's interested in doing a special segment on uh, PCBH, Primary Care Behavioral Health Model, for those of you not um, aware of that acronym. And uh, Randall Wright, uh, one of our CFHA board members, actually, is also going to be doing a special segment for us on, uh, on a family-focused um, uh, perspective on integrated care. So we have some of those already in the works, and so you'll be able to hear those in coming podcasts. So some cool things. All right, so uh, every uh, podcast we have a special section that we do called news items. And so these news items are items related to um, uh, stuff that's going on right now that's current, uh, but that in that overlaps and integrates with uh, integrated care efforts. So to get us going, Grace, what's your news item for this month? So I was listening to the news and they were talking about the Kerner Commission. Um, and so a little 
tiny brief history. Uh, 50 years ago, we're coming on the anniversary in 1968, um, there was this report that was released. It's commonly known as the Kerner Commission. And it looked at disparities, uh, racial disparities, particularly in the United States, and the way that those divisions and separations contribute to the divides that we have. And so we're coming up on the 50-year anniversary, and it's being updated. And actually, the Eisenhower, Eisenhower Foundation is expected to release that updated report today, our day of recording. So that's February 27th. So by the time that you're hearing this, you should be able to find it and read it. Um, the Washington Post summarized a couple of the findings and, and the summary of the summary is that there are some ways that we've made gains in racial disparities in our country, particularly um, in you know a growing middle class for Black Americans and Hispanic Americans. Um, but there also are some continuing disparities that exists as far as like income inequality and the wealth gap. And so surrounding this kind of 50 year anniversary and the release of the updated report, there's a lot of discussion going on about kind of these evolution of disparities in our country and the ways that um, there continue to be racial, racial divis divisions um, and differences. So one of the ones that I was looking for, and of course we'll put links to all of these in our show notes, is from the Economic Policy Institute because they highlighted a specific section on health. And so I was really interested in that. Um, and they have recently done a report um, that looked at two kind of indicators of health outcomes, infant mortality and life expectancy. And so two of the things they highlighted for changes in African-American African population specifically is that infant mortality has decreased in the 50 years since this report was first released from 34.9 per thousand live births in 1968 to 11.4 now. So it's a really drastic increase. There's been similar increases in white Americans. Um, kind of, it's a good news and bad news situation because there is that big decrease in infant mortality. But if you look at the relative rates, it's actually gotten worse. So at this point, um, it, so in 1968, black infants were 1.9 times as likely to die than a white infant, um, infant mortality, and now it's 2.3 times as high. So there's some change happening, but then there's these continued disparities. Uh, and then the, the other item that they really looked at was life expectancy at birth. So in the fifth, last 50 years, it's risen 11.5 years for black Americans, um, which has outpaced the rise for whites, which was 7.5 years. Um, but the overall life expectancy continues to be about three and a half years less for black Americans than for white Americans. Um, so this particular report that I was looking at from the Economic Policy Institute and you know tying in with that Kerner Commission was looking at these particular outcomes. And I think all of that sort of comes back to us because the work that we do in healthcare and in integrated care um, is all designed to try to bridge some of those disparities and try to reach some of these marginalized populations as we started to talk about, you know, last month in our recording, and we really wanted to focus on this time. So I just thought that was interesting. Um, some good markers of the changes that we have made and the, the strides and gains that we have made, but also a charge for the work that is continued there for us to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I you know, it's always sobering to hear those. And, and to, you know, I think part of our discussion today is going to be the, the multifactorial nature of what influences health and um, integrated care, provision of integrated care is one 
sort of potential mitigating factor to all of that, right? Uh, to, to those larger issues. But it's always helpful to have those as signposts to remind us of, of sort of the bigger picture, right? Of what we're trying to achieve as far as diminishing these health equities. Yes. And I always, I, I'm just, I'm a person who loves stories. So I'm struck by thinking about what those three and a half years of life expectancy represents mm-hmm. and the, t- the time that's lost for people and the infant mortality that represent lives that could have been that aren't. And the stories that we hopefully, you know, can continue to work and to push so that they can be told. And so that people do have that time and do have those lives they're able to live. Yeah. And I think if- for me, this really reminds me of when um, I was in graduate school and I took uh, my very first multicultural counseling class. It was a required class, of course. And um, the area that I'm from, and I went you know, to a very good private graduate school, I walk in <clears throat> and everyone like, pretty much looked the same. It was a bunch of upper middle class white girls. And um, our, our teacher walked in and, and I, I wish that I could remember her name, but she was this this strong black woman who came in and she was like, all right, guys, like we're, we have some work to do. And our first chapter was talking about colorblindness and how colorblindness in, in a way is, is, you know, kind of racism. And she talked about how everyone is not the same. And we're like, what are we talking about? Like, because all of us, our whole school system, our whole lives were like, oh, well, you know, everyone's the same. Everyone's the same. And she's like, you're doing your clients a disservice when you don't recognize that there are differences, like there, there are differences. And there was actually five people that didn't make it through the end of that class because they didn't like hearing that. And I'm, I was not one of them. I stuck it through, um, until the end. And I, that's something that always sticks with me is, is being able to sit, you know, with my experience and being able to acknowledge that there are differences. And when you bring those to the table, when you're working, especially with underserved clients and acknowledging them, there's a lot of power in that and being able to address them and being able to say like, yeah, like, you know, you didn't ask for this birthright. I didn't ask for this birthright, but like, you know, what are we going to do about it? Like, how are we going to make sure that everyone's getting the quality of life that they deserve? And that's kind of what those statistics bring out, like in my memory. Yeah. Great. Well, um, thanks for that news item. That's great. All right, Amber, your news item. So I don't know. I, I'm hoping I've posted enough time for the two of you to be able to look at it um, in our base camp, uh, which is the the software that we used to talk to each other. Um, yeah, there's a free you know, promo we, for base camp right there. We've got yeah, right. Are gonna base camp is not a sponsor, but they should <laughs> yeah. be. Yeah. They should be. We love you, base camp. Um, so anyway, that's that's how we talk to each other. But um, you know, we we had been talking a little bit about you know, not only is this Black History Month, but there was something that happened in in our nation that was a very sombering event, as it always is. And unfortunately, I wish I didn't have to preface that statement with always. Um, You know, the unfortunate event of another school shooting. Um, And, you know, as mental health providers, we, you know, are often kind of caught in the crossfire of this whole mental health, political, gun control, like all that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, I had seen a video, as, as some of you may have seen, it was actually circulating on the internet. Um, and it's um, a man who talks about his experience of almost being a school shooter, is the, the headline of the um, video. And basically, he says that, you know, mental health was a huge 
role in why he felt like he had nothing to live for as a young teen and if people had reached out to him and that basically the one thing that stopped him was having access to firearms. But um, the piece that I wanted to highlight, if, if you guys did get to look at the video, was, um, you know, basically what he had said about having a very traumatic um, childhood and um, going through a lot of bullying. Um, and, you know, what we feel we can kind of do as integrated care professionals to kind of reach out when we see these things happening in the community and be able to help um, educate, whether it's school professionals or um, guidance counselors or even, you know, what we might be able to do as to, in terms of like looking for um, precursors that might indicate a, a child that's in need of some extra attention. Because um, I, I do primarily work with uh, kids. So this was something that really kind of struck home with me as far as looking at my client population. Yeah. And, you know, I think it dovetails real nicely with what we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. Um, I think one of the things that is unique about integrated care, particularly for those of us working in primary care, is that we're so much closer to the community um, in many respects. And that does put us in situations where we're perhaps more likely to hear and catch these stories, catch these sort of individuals um, much earlier on. And, um, yeah, it is, it, it is uh, always a sort of a sobering thing to think about, you know, how do we, how do we make sure to catch these individuals in these points of uh, vulnerability? Um, and, and it's not just for, obviously, school shootings. It's for all sorts of different adverse events, yeah, sure. whether it's how do we catch them before they start using drugs or um, before they um, hurt themselves. Um, there's all sorts of different ways in which our constant struggle and a big piece of integrated care is actually, you know, how do we, how do we get there earlier in the process? Um, Screening is such a powerful intervention in itself. I think being able to figure out who's at risk. And I also am, am reminded of some creative efforts at integration. So when I was working in North Carolina, I was working with a healthcare system that had multiple different sites. And one of their sites was embedded at a school. So they had a primary care, I think it I think it was a nurse practitioner that was there um, that was integrated into the school and into the school system because they had identified that this was a population who was not having their healthcare needs met. It was very rural. Um, and so they had an, a little primary care clinic there in the school and had that level of integration. And so I think when we're creative and kind of expand, just like you said, Neftali, how do we go to where the people are? How do we get that closer connection with the community? So something doesn't have to escalate to the point that it would go to traditional mental health because problematically, people typically see that as a last resort or they see that as something that things have to be really bad before I go to a therapist or go to traditional mental health. And of course, none of us want it to be that way, but that's some of the stigma in our society and in our culture. And so one of the ways we fight against that, I think is being creative with our integration efforts. Yeah. not, I mean, I was going to say not to get too political, but there's no way not to get too political, especially with our conversation today. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I'd, I'd rather have a school-based health center in every school than a armed guard at every school, honestly. Um, so we'll, we'll address that a little bit more later. But that dovetails real nicely, though, uh, Amber, with my news item. Uh, my news item is something that I, I tweeted about or we tweeted about at CFHA. Um, 
not not surprisingly, a CFHA member is involved in part of the solution, right? And probably that's the theme for our podcast today is how, how does integrated care become part of the solution, uh, both to the issues that relate to healthcare and then obviously the larger issues about our life here in the United States. Uh, so we tweeted, uh, it was an op-ed by uh, David Brooks, uh, conservative columnist uh, from the New York Times, and he tweeted uh, essentially in reference to the work that a uh, CFHA member, family therapist by the name of Bill Doherty, um, he and some colleagues have been uh, traversing the United States trying to form these basically um, uh, discussion groups between um, uh, folks on the red end of the spectrum and folks on the blue end of the spectrum to try to help them to begin to essentially listen better and to communicate better um, around core issues and get around essentially the tribalism that has um, engulfed our conversations around these issues to have more human and humane sorts of conversations. So, of course, I'm going to put the link down in the show notes together with Amber's video um, as well. It's a great read from the perspective of um, really thinking through that the key piece to getting through these issues as a nation um, is to escape the tribalism that sort of puts us all into corners and then doesn't really allow us to have really substantive conversations about key issues. And, you know, although this was related specifically to the gun control issue, um, the reason I bring it up is because I think it's also true of our discussions around healthcare. Um, uh, uh, you know, um, too often uh, the discussion around what we should do to help make healthcare accessible for all um, and more affordable for all get into the same sort of tribal sort of conversations that we get into with all these other conversations, you know? Yeah, and, and it's almost like you can line people up and you create a red category and, you know, you're against government takeover of healthcare, and you're also against government takeover of guns. And then you're in the blue category and you're like for, you know, uh, universal health care and um, uh, for government run health care and you're for taking everybody's guns away. And there's there's a whole lot of spectrum and conversation that actually exists in there and overlap between people. And if you read the column, that's really one of the outcomes of these groups uh, that Bill Doherty and his colleagues run is that people really end up expressing a yearning to be heard as individuals and not as in sort of these camps that are treated with broad brushes. So as we engage as integrated care professionals in conversations in our communities around healthcare, um, I, I think it's just a good sort of thing to remember to um, not get into our own little tribes. Um, and certainly CFHA is not about creating an, its own little tribe, its own little integrated care tribe. Um, that's kind of what we're against, you know. Um, we, we were formed around the idea that um, w part of the problem is that our professions just kind of divided into their own tribes and started doing their own things. And what we work to is to bring everybody together to work together in healthcare teams so they can work together across these um, professional disciplines um, for the benefit of patients. So check that link out. Um, I think it's I think it's a really interesting take. And of course, it's kind of cool that one of our own members um, is involved in it. So, 
yeah, take a look. All right, well, those are our news items. Um, you know, it transitions right into our main topic for today. And guys, I'm really excited to talk about this with you today. Um, first of all, like I said, Black History Month is an important month, I think, um, for all of us. Uh, and it's an important opportunity for us to honor the legacy of African Americans and the African American struggle. Um, and we're going to we're going to honor that legacy by talking about how what we do as integrated care professionals kind of dovetails very uh, significantly with issues of social justice um, and inequities, as uh, we've already talked about. And so just to kind of begin and launch our discussion and frame it, um, I, I kind of was asking myself, you know, why is it that um, a basically healthcare related association would care about issues of social justice. What's what's the overlap there? Why why does why do we kind of get constantly drawn into this? And um, you know, Grace, just kind of like you said, I kind of got drawn to patient stories when I asked myself that question, because really that's what it comes down to. You know, it's it's those poignant moments that I've had in exam rooms. Uh, I can remember very poignantly. A time that I was uh, in an exam room. This was after one of the um, one of the one of the various police shootings in the country. In fact, I, I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, this was in Madison, Wisconsin, right after a police shooting of a young African American male. Um, and uh, there was uh, there were marches. There were threats of violence in the streets. Um, there was real tension in the city. And I just remember at some point sitting with uh, one of my African-American uh, patients, an African-American male, and um, just sensing in the exam room the, the tension, the strain mm -hmm. that this person carried. Um, and I imagine that it was a mix of, of somewhat fear, like, you know, what's the city going to be like, um, combined with the strain of of having to carry this sense of of maybe not feeling safe um, and of having this sort of historical antagonism with law enforcement then brought to the brought to the present personal experience of that individual um, and I remember kind of not having too many words like I didn't know what to say you know but I knew that my place there as a psychologist in an exam room, seeing the physician's patient, that, that it was important to acknowledge it. And so that's what I did. I just kind of acknowledged it, essentially. Um, I just said, I know that this is a tough time, and I can't imagine what this experience is like for you. Um, but I just want you to know that I, I, I feel it. You know, I feel the, the tension as a fellow citizen. And... Um, so, you know, th those are the moments that remind me that that what we do in healthcare uh, sort of can't escape these larger issues of social justice, um, of issues of inequity, um, et cetera. And there's tons of stories like that that I could tell uh, related to that. But that's that's really what frames this conversation. Why this is important to us as an association and to all of us who work in in integrated care. So I'm wondering about you guys. What you know, why is this important to us? Why, how is it that we get drawn into this? I mean, we're healthcare professionals, right? 
We are healthcare professionals who love the biopsychosocial spiritual model. And it comes a lot to me to that systemic perspective that, I mean, you cannot see a person's healthcare or person's biological needs outside of their social context, outside of their psychological functioning and their relationships and even their their spirituality and their connection with their greater purpose, that trying to isolate any one of those parts is a false dichotomy. So I, I, what I love about that story you just told, Neftali, is that you set a stage where it was okay to talk about it. You brought it up. Um, and I think that there's so many times that we leave things that go unsaid. And I, I know I told last time that my, my place that I'm coming from is in resident education and that I'm teaching the residents about working with patients and treating families. And I tell them all the time, if there's something that you think is not being talked about, just open it up, just bring it out, just put it out there and then listen and let the patient teach you um, and come from that stance of humility because our experiences are not just biological. They're not just mental health. And so to me, it comes back to that biopsychosocial spiritual and the social is relational, but it's also within the greater social context of our society. And I think that one of the reasons we, you know, end up getting drawn into this conversation pretty constantly is because, you know, the, the right to health is a very basic human need. And when you're dealing with a you know, different populations. And there's a huge difference between, you know, one person's access to the basic need or right to have health or health care. And you're seeing that as very different from another um, patient that you might be dealing with that, you know, we're obviously in this field because we like to ask questions, you know, so we're going to be like, hey, like, what what's going on here? How can we help, you know, get their needs met? How can we help bridge this gap? And that's where I think we keep going back to you know, the drawing board as far as helping to increase access, you know, to healthcare so that, you know, the patients that we see, everyone is, is having that right to basic human needs met. And then, you know, maybe even if there isn't equality in that particular area, you know, we can be offering a little bit more equality so people can have that quality of life that they deserve. Yeah. You know, great thoughts, Sarah, because I think, I think one of the things that integrated care does is create this space um, in the encounter with our patients for the unspoken to become spoken, right? And it's, it's, it's actually fascinating. I just had this thought as, um, Grace, as you were talking about screening, right? And, you know, if you think about screening at its core, um, it's really just about taking something that's not spoken and bringing it to light. That's really all screening is, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if you do, you know, give someone a PHQ-9, you're really trying to find out, hey, is there something here that's not, hasn't been spoken? Let's bring it to the fore, make it part of the conversation, right? Mm-hmm. If you think about it in that way, um, that's really what integrated care does. And um, obviously our physician colleagues um, have limited amount of time, energy, and scope to do all of this and say if you know, a 15-minute visit with a patient. What we do is we come in as behavioral health professionals um, alongside them in a style that works for them and for the patient to create a space for these really, really important conversations. 
and you know, I think the the temptation is when you when you are under time pressure as a medical team, right, to sort of tamp down whatever conversations are not essential to the work for that day, right? Because we all know we got to get through the day, and you know, you got one appointment, and the next, and the next, and the next. Um, but I think that's one of the unique things about integrated care is that we create a space where it's possible to address or at least to begin to address that conversation. And then the mental health folks on the team often become sort of a holder of that stuff. So that even if, let's say, you know, you've got this really busy day and and you've got this sort of um, social justice-ish issue, right, that the patient is dealing with, you can't deal with it that day, right? Um, or maybe it's not even appropriate to deal with it that day. But, um, you know, something simple like an acknowledgement of its presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even what I found is then a discussion on the back end between the professionals on the team, medical assistants, the behavioral health consultant, the physician. Then it, it allows that conversation to live and for that reality to come to light, even if it wasn't addressed in full bore with the patient, it wasn't the main thing you did, but it doesn't sort of suppress it, you know? It doesn't ignore it, it doesn't push it to the bottom. And I've had these kind of conversations where, with physicians after the fact, and one of the things that I found is that the team is then, the team is very appreciative to have the opportunity to have this conversation because everybody silently knows what's going on. But no one's talking about it because we're all busy and all doing their own thing. But the, the chance to at least say out loud, this, what this patient is going through is just not fair. Let me, let me just give a quick example, right? Um, uh, I've had, uh, you know, umpteenth number of situations like this where we're dealing with a Latino uh, undocumented family. And um, it could be that they, because they're Latino and undocumented, don't have access to certain services that our other patients do. Um, uh, Or they're dealing with uh, deportation or the deportation of a particular family member, uh, the breadwinner of the the home, etc. And there's really nothing we can do, right, in our power about it. We acknowledge it with the patient's. I work with the patient to help them cope as best as possible with it. And then after the fact, the team, you know, I initiate a conversation with our team and talk through it. And I can't tell you how important that is for the team to be able to talk about it and acknowledge, at the very least, the issue um, at hand that's underlying this, even though we, in reality, just haven't done much of anything other than, you know, be a place for that patient to come to that feels perhaps safer than other places they might inhabit in their life, you know. And I think that's one of the ways in which this overlap really makes a big difference. Well, but I, I hesitate to call that nothing. You know, I think that's doing something that's really important because, again, because we are these biopsychosocial spiritual creatures and all of those parts are interdependent on one another, if we can do something to soothe some of the, you know, feelings of marginalization, to say, I see you, you're important to me, I recognize the struggle that you're having, then there are really complex pathways of how that affects the person as a whole, I think. So I don't think that's I don't think that's doing nothing. I think we need to give it more credit than that. 
And I, I think that there's a lot to be said for being the person who says the thing that everybody's thinking, you know, and, and I think that it's very scary to be that person, especially, you know, when you're working in a practice and everyone's coming from different backgrounds, different disciplines, but being able to be like, Hey, like I'm kind of feeling this way and, and put it out there. And then people are able to be like, okay, well he or she said it first. So like now we can talk about it, just kind of popping the cork off that bottle so that people can feel like it's okay, you know, to discuss the things that we very traditionally as a society, we're like, oh no, like we don't talk about that. Like we, we, if we don't acknowledge it, it's not really like a thing. And especially if you're, you know, the person coming from the position of power in whatever dynamic it is that you're working in, um, it can be very uncomfortable to acknowledge that like, you know, that there's a disparity going on and to be the person that, that brings it up. But I think just what Grace was saying, like just in bringing it up, that that's a huge deal. So if the only thing we accomplish in this podcast is encouraging other integrated care professionals just to say it out loud, um, you know, I think that that's like a really big deal. I think that's awesome. That that, that, that should be our take home today. <laughs> <laughs> really, it really is because there are a lot of times when we feel uh, disempowered, you know, because the communities we serve are disempowered. Um, but... Um, I, I think you're right, Grace. I shouldn't have used the word nothing is being done <laughs> because we're leveraging whatever power we have, right? Sure. Um, and, um, you know, that can still feel small, but it, it is significant. And I've certainly felt it to be significant among our teams when we have these sorts of discussions. And I think, and I think it's, it also is a big piece of, of dealing when you're working with underserved populations in particular, dealing with burnout, right? Because this stuff accumulates. You know, these stories accumulate in your mind, in your heart, and they weigh on you. And if you're a physician uh, dealing with this day in, day out, um, and have no way to process and work through this, um, or have to do all of that by yourself, um, that's tough. I mean, that's really tough. It's very and isolating. Yeah, yeah. I've seen folks get really, really weighed down to the point where they feel like they can't do it anymore, um, which, of course, only makes the issue of access to care, you know, that much more difficult. And, you know, I think those are the, you know, we've identified this whole idea of like, you know, kind of saying it out loud is one of the one of the sort of intangible benefits, perhaps, of integrated care. But Amber, you brought up the access issue as well. And that, that, I think, is one of the other key areas of overlap because, you know, essentially integrated care is really about access. It's about solving the access problem, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, what we try to do uh, by definition is provide the right kind of access at the right time for, for patients. And because... Um, the populations that have the most difficulty with access, both to physical health care and to mental health care, but particularly mental health care, tend to be people of color, um, minority underserved populations. And as we talked about in our news item up front, um, those populations also are suffering from health inequities. Um, those, that's sort of our reason for being um, as far as integrated care, Right. We're just trying to solve that access problem. That's why we exist in medical teams um, in, a, in a fashion that makes it easy for people to get to us. So that's one of the other areas of overlap. But I, I'm going to open up a little bit of a can of worms here in our remaining minutes. And I'm going to try my best to not get messy with this part of the conversation. 
Oh, but, go ahead. Get messy. It's fine. <laughs> um, it's just, you know, I like, it's just a difficult conversation to have, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this, that's what, you know, social justice is. It's, it's having the courage to have difficult conversations. So just yesterday, day before we're recording this podcast, um, um, one of the many varied things that President Trump has talked about uh, related to the Parkland shootings is um, essentially the, you know, it kind of has dawned on him, I guess, that, yes, people should have more access to mental health care, that 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 would be a, a potential solution to this issue. And, you know, I found myself having like reactions on both sides. Like on the one hand, yes, I'm the executive director of this association where we want to create better access to care in general, including mental health care. Right. And so on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm all for access to mental health care. Um, and so I want to talk about that a little bit with you guys. But on the other hand, I'm also kind of like, you know, you know, I, I'm just kind of wondering, is is access to mental health care going to solve the particular issue? Right. And that's probably a research question that, it, that we can't kind of assess. But I, I feel uncomfortable with that side of the conversation, feeling as if, you know, the answer to gun violence, particularly gun violence in schools, is is specifically say what we do here at CFHA. I'm just wondering what you guys think about that. I mean, you know, where do we where do we go with that conversation? You know. Uh, so, part of why I think this is messy is because it's it's more complicated than the news tries to make it. And my fear, anytime we look at a solution or look, you know, lean one way or another way or say, okay, well, access to mental health is going to fix it or gun control is going to fix it or any one thing is that we oversimplify what's an extremely complex issue. And so I I share some of your same concerns that, you know, saying, well, this is a mental health issue can be a red herring away from some of the other concerns and factors that influence and, and and keep making this violence possible to happen at the same time like you said I have really mixed feelings because I am all for greater access to mental health care we are having you know we constantly are in an extreme crisis in Oklahoma for funding for our mental health services we're constantly um, in a financial crisis for the resources that could be part of the answer but to me that's an important caveat is that it's part of the answer so i just i think these conversations need to continue to happen and yes saying that unspoken is part of it but figuring out what we do with that unspoken and keeping having the conversation even when it's uncomfortable and keeping looking and trying for solutions even when the the initial shock and hurt of whatever the most recent tragedy has been is starting to wear off um, is so critical that we sustain this momentum. And I, I don't know what the answer is, but I think it's going to be something complicated. And I think any too much emphasis on one part of it is not going to be enough. Yeah, I, I have to say, I completely agree with Grace. Like as you were, quote unquote, opening this can of worms, you know, it's that that's the thing that always comes to the front of my mind is that it's not it's not simple. And the I think only disservice we can do is by putting all of our eggs in one basket or the other. I think that it's a multifaceted issue. But when you do look at, you know, the 
the constants that are the same between the perpetrators like of these horrible crimes, you know, there there there's an undeniable mental health component to that. You know, we're we're not looking at people who were like super happy and awesome and had no childhood trauma and they fit in well with their peers and they were, you know, just going about their life. And one day they woke up and like all of a sudden they were like, you know what I want to do today? Like that, that's not the scenario that, that we're discussing. We're discussing people who were seen to be struggling with severe mental health issues for a long period of time. And there wasn't proper intervention. There wasn't, you know, and if there was intervention, it wasn't to the degree that it, it may be needed to be, to be effective. And I think that's the other piece of this is not only having the access, but what is the quality of care that is being delivered to those persons? And, you know, is the, not only the access, but the quality going to be enough to be able to deliver, you know, and meet the needs of the population. So I, like Grace said, it's, it's complicated, but important and important to continue talking about so that we're not hopefully having this reoccurring conversation start from square one every time there is a national tragedy because that that's the disservice you know and the the other worry that i have is that when we talk about mental health as being part of the problem is that it's stigmatizing because most people with mental health problems or with mental illness are not violent um and so when we say well this is a mental health issue then i think it it, again, it oversimplifies. Any any oversimplification is going to be a problem. And so I worry about continuing, you know, an increasing stigma, which is part of the reason why I love integrated care, because I think by breaking down some of the walls and the silos between our mental health care and our physical health care, that we just say, health is health. And whether that is, you know, problems with your thinking or problems with your cholesterol, it's all part of you as a person. And we need to address that. We need to address it more frequently. I'm just always, every time I hear it, struck by the research of the huge majority of people who commit suicide who have seen their physician recently. And yet they're, they still are suffering. And there's these big gaps in our care and in, you know, these, I'm also struck by patients who we see who maybe are on that line of, they have severe, you know, problems in functioning. They're really struggling. They're having even ideations of harm, but it's not so clear and direct that we can do anything that would hinder their autonomy. Uh, And so there's this core ethical conflict between our patient's autonomy and our desire for safety. And, you know, hearing the stories of, of, you know, this, um, this person and many other people who have resorted to these acts of violence and tracing back the history of problems that they've had by say, okay, but if I'm a therapist in an integrated care setting and I'm confronted with someone who's having these issues in our system today, there's nothing I can do for him. I can continue to support him. I can support his mom. I can try to provide extra places, but I can't hospitalize someone based on the reports of what had happened for him in the past. There's no way to predict and to know. And so that's something that I think, you know, when I think on a systemic level and I think about sort of this 
linear change or, you know, to use more systemic term, this first order change versus second order change or second order change, there's a reorganization of our system and our structure. There has to be some kind of second order change to help us with these people who are falling through this gap that sure, there's people that say, yeah, something wasn't right. Yeah. He was really struggling, but there wasn't something in place to protect that. And I do think that that goes back to what we were talking about earlier about being integrated within communities, because right now, as Grace was saying, like it is so compartmentalized and, you know, yes, there are many facets to what, you know, the, you know, the ingredients that went into this horrible cake recipe that created, you know, the issues that we're talking about. But when you're involved in a community at that most basic level, that's when you don't necessarily have to make that choice between taking away your patient's autonomy. Like there's a lot more support and there's a lot more support at a, a basic level to be able to reach out to, you know, whether it's the school or the church or a community center or like w- whatever's going on, like everyone's there to support that person. You know, it's the whole, it takes a village mentality and it's not like, oh, well I go see my therapist once a week on Tuesday nights and I talk about my mental health st- stuff there. And then like that, that's it. Like that, that's my mental health. It, it, it is integrated. It's a part of your whole entire well being. Like we've been talking about, you know, consistently and especially in this episode. So it's, you know, it's kind of putting that little, you know, piece in all of our minds about like, okay, like, you know, integration's cool. And then like, how are we getting our tentacles like out there into the community yeah. to really become part of, you know, the population that we serve. Yeah, and so, you know, what this conversation is making me think about is that really integrated care, kind of more than a thing, is a mindset. You know, it's it's an approach to thinking about things. And I think what I want to encourage us and our listeners to do is to um, have conversations with our communities and with your medical teams, uh, with your patients that um, that have this, this uh, more nuanced complex perspective you know i mean if you think about the conversation we've just had right there's no tribes here right we're not we're not going into our into our corners we're really just acknowledging the interconnectedness of systems and the interconnectedness and necessity of all the different sort of pieces that need to be in place for a well-functioning society and a well-functioning individual right and our medical teams are just one piece, one link in a really long chain of things that are important for uh, folks to be well in their life. You know, and we all know the statistics that say that, you know, most of what produces really good health outcomes is, uh, are, is stuff that is, you know, 90% out of the control of formalized healthcare, right? And, you know, I think that's part of what sort of frustrates me a little bit about the conversation around gun issues and mental health. Um, in that, you know, like you said, Grace, you know, it's not simple enough to say, it's not as simple as saying, well, if we just had enough access to good mental health care, like that's one link in the chain, you know, and it's an important link and I'm going to push and advocate for that link. Right. But that's one link in a really big long chain that's, that's necessary and important for, uh, for folks who are in these situations to, to to not do what they're going to do and to be better human beings and to find other avenues, sort of like the, the video in the, in the post that you brought up, Amber, you know? And so, you know, I, I think to b- t- tie this back to our sort of honoring of, of uh, Black History Month, um, 
you know, what we're trying to do is bring these conversations to the fore and, and maybe just bring a different tenor to the conversation, a different perspective. And I think when you do integrated care, I think because you're so close to the community, to the patient, and to the healthcare teams, you kind of can't avoid having these more nuanced conversations about the systems, the individuals, and all the factors that we know go into making life work for individuals. And I think that applies to each and every sort of political context, whether it's we're talking about gun control or we're talking about health reform. There aren't, you know, super easy, unless you guys have them, uh, super easy, perfect answers to exactly how we ought to do health reform. But we got to have these conversations in much more intelligent intelligent ways. So maybe that's our theme is that, you know, integrated care um, is the place to have these conversations, you know, it's or it, it creates a place to have these conversations to speak up what is not spoken. Any last words, guys, before we sign off? No, I don't I don't really have anything to say. I just like I really just want to acknowledge since we're talking about things that people may be thinking um, that like, I, I really feel like this is kind of a, a really big thing. And like, we're, we're part of something that's, you know, hopefully going to impact, you know, the people that are listening to us and, you know, helping to change, you know, the way that people are thinking about things and get, get the wheels turning in a little bit of a different direction. So just, you know, really honored to be able to talk with you guys and, you know, to be able to have these conversations on, a forum, you know, that's going to be accessible to basically anyone who wants to wants to listen and be a part of it. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, and I know that we have so much wisdom in our membership. Um, I'm so thankful to be a part of a group like CFHA, and I'm looking forward to hopefully some discussion unfolding, you know, in that community and on our listserv and in response to the podcast to hear what successes you know, our listeners have had in having these conversations and, and where they still stumble and, and what advice is that they have and would share for continuing to, like you said, set a tone that's different for talking about these things. Yeah. Well, no better way to wrap us up than the words of Martin Luther King. So um, one of our podcast compatriots wanted to make sure to uh, contribute to this conversation. He probably is ruining that he wasn't part of this conversation because he's uh, issues of social justice and inequity are huge for him. So uh, Jeffrey Ring is going to take us out with these words uh, from Martin Luther King. Enjoy and thanks for listening. Hello, podcast team and listeners. Jeffrey Ring here. In the spirit of African American History Month, I wanted to share a, a favorite quote of um, Martin Luther King Jr. In a real sense, all life is interrelated. All men are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. This um, idea speaks to me very deeply um, and has 
particular relevance, I think, for our work in uh, taking on health disparities and health inequities. We are, in fact, all caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. There is a community about health and health uh, health care and health care access and the impacts of having certain groups with much higher uh, rates of illness and uh, very often preventable illness um, is uh, unacceptable. It was certainly unacceptable to Martin Luther King Jr. and it continues to be unacceptable today in 2018. The second idea here I think is also worth pausing and reflecting on. The idea that I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. This is truly a message of human connection and empowerment. This is the message of each of us doing our work to grow, to be as fully aware and evolved as we possibly can. This is hard work. This is reflective work. This is holding up a broken mirror and looking inside and wrangling with the parts of us that we maybe would rather not engage with. Our vulnerabilities, our blind spots, our biases, our stereotypes, our privilege and how we manage that, our power and how we manage that our powerlessness. Dr. King is reminding us about uh, that precious link between the internal reflective work and the beautiful possibility, the fruits of that labor uh, for everyone in the larger community. This is, in fact, as Dr. King said, the interrelated structure of reality. Thank you.